you have your Bibles, turn with us, please, to Matthew chapter number 2. I'm interested this morning in the pre-written pathways of the young Christ. The pre-written pathways of the young Christ. Matthew chapter number 2, we'll begin our reading at verse 13 when you find your place there. If you can and will, would you stand with us, please? We'll honor the Word of God by standing for the reading of today's text the message will come from. Thank you again for being in the service. Matthew 2, beginning in verse number 13. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, out of Egypt have I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coast thereof from two years old and under according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, In Ramah there was a voice heard, was there a voice heard, excuse me, lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeareth in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel. For they are dead, which sought the young child's life. And he arose and took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea, in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither. Notwithstanding, being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Thank you for standing. The pre-written pathways of the young Christ, you know as well as I, there's not much known, not much at all known about the young life of Christ. We're given this and we're given the episode, and we trust we'll preach from the episode next week of where uh, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus goes to the temple. When Joseph and Mary depart, they realize that Jesus is not with them. They find him back at the temple still. And yet, the first spoken words of Christ in the New Testament are to his mother when he said, Wish ye not that I must be about my father's business. This is the 11th look into the young life of Christ or at least the life of Christ. You remember there were seven messages where we led up to and into the birth of Christ, or at least seven messages where we looked at the circumstances and situations leading up to the birth of Christ. And now we've been a few messages the other side of the nativity scene. We spoke, you'll remember, in our presence concerning ceremonial matters out of Matthew, or excuse me, out of Luke chapter number 2. Uh, we looked at uh, Luke chapter number 2, 25 to 38, where there was an encounter in the temple with Simeon and Anna. 
we noticed how they both rejoiced over Christ. They both offered testimony. We, we concluded the message taking a brief look at Anna and what the Bible had to say in the three verses that contained her story. We spoke of Anna's character, her blessedness, her occupation, and her compensation. Our last look into the life of Christ, of course, we looked at the visit by the Magi as they visited the Christ child. We talked about their seeking of the Christ child, their finding of the Christ child, their gifting to the Christ child, and then their departing from the Christ child. That brings us now to these pre-written pathways that we find in the life of Christ. Now, you know as well as I that Matthew's gospel differs from the other gospel penmen in the sense that his target audience is the Jew. And he's going to show Jesus in his kingly uh, state, his kingliness, his worthiness of being the Messiah, his worthiness of being able to sit upon the throne of David one day out there in the future. And so uh, the Jews were looking for the Messiah, the promised one, and Matthew's going to say, I have him here, and he will present him. You remember we talked about that when we looked at the genealogy of Christ in Matthew chapter number 1. One of the uh, key words to the book of Matthew, I want to show this to you. Maybe you'd underline it or circle it. Uh, I have in a number of my Bibles I've preached from through the years, uh, highlighted and circled the word fulfilled. Let me show you this. I'll point them out to you. There are other words that that are synonymous with the word fulfilled that Matthew will use. But chapter 1, verse 22, now all this was done that it might be fulfilled. In other words, he's the one. He's, all of this validates that Christ, that Jesus is the Christ. Chapter 2, verse 15, and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet. Chapter 2, verse 17, then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet. Of course, that's Jeremiah being referenced there. Then the last verse of chapter number 2, you'll find the word uh, fulfilled. Chapter 4, verse 14, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. That's Isaiah, of course. Chapter number 5, verse 18, you'll find the word again, the word fulfilled. And uh, then there are others scattered throughout uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Chapter number 8, verse number 17, and if you want the rest of them, I'll be happy to show you them from where I have them marked in my Bible, circled and highlighted. But this is to validate that Christ is who he says that he is. These pre-written pathways found in the passage before us, they are two. There's the pathway from, uh, from Bethlehem to Egypt, verses 13 to 18. And then there's the pathway from Egypt to Nazareth, verse number 19 through 23. The pathway from Bethlehem to Egypt, you'll find that Joseph will, will withdraw his family uh, from Bethlehem. You'll find Herod's wrath and the slaughter of the innocents. You'll find Rachel's weeping over the slain children, the slain boys. Concerning the pathway from Egypt to Nazareth in verses 19 to 23, Joseph will return from Egypt. Archelaus, in verse number 22, we will see, will now reign in the land. And in verse number 23, whether Nazareth knows it or not, they receive the Christ child, and there's where he will make his home. We'll start with the first, in verses 13 to 18, the pathway from Bethlehem to Egypt. This has often been referred to as the flight into Egypt. 
I was listening to one preacher on this passage uh, maybe three weeks ago, and he talked about this particular scene, how that the Sunday school was trying to teach some little fellas this scene and then asked them to draw a picture. And when they drew, one little fellow drew a picture, and it was a Boeing 747, and there was Joseph, Mary, and there was the baby Jesus, and Mary was holding Jesus in the 747. And so the Sunday school teacher asked the little fellow, what is it that you drew here? And he said, you taught us this morning about Christ's flight into Egypt. said, I put him on the plane and flew him there. And said, that's what I have drawn. Uh, in verses 13 and 14, under this particular pathway, you'll find that Joseph withdraws his family. He leaves Bethlehem, verses 13 and 14. The Bible says, And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed uh, into Egypt. You remember the Magi, the wise men, they've just left the presence of the little family, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. Their visit, their gifting would have been an encouragement. It would have helped to further confirm what God has set this family apart for, uh, Joseph's purpose, Mary's lot in life, and the fact that this is indeed the promised uh, Messiah. And, uh, but the thing about it is this encouragement that uh, this, uh, this visit from the Magi, these wise men, uh, it would be short-lived, wouldn't it? Uh, the, the encouragement, the blessing that it was uh, before very long at all after they depart, uh, reality sets in that um, Herod wants to kill the Christ child. The gifts that the Magi would bring, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh, would be used to bear the expense now for the family, no doubt, to go down into Egypt and to survive there for a span of time until Herod and his cohorts will die. You notice with me in verse number 13, Joseph will receive a dream, a second dream from the Lord, where the Bible says, And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. You'll remember the wise men came seeking Christ in verses 1 and 2 of this chapter in order to worship him. But now Herod is seeking the Christ child, and he wants to murder him. It's amazing how two people can sit in the same service, hear the same sermon, listen to the same song, sing the same songs, and come away with a totally different take on what just happened. Here's two different sets of people and two different, uh, two different ways that they will approach Christ. In verse number 16, verses 7 and 8, the Bible says in verses 7 and 8 of this chapter, Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. Um, and then you'll find in verse number 16 what his real motive was in wanting these wise men to leave, find the Christ child, and report back to him. As a matter of fact, Herod said, I want to worship him too. You come bring me word. But in verse number 16, the Bible says, Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, in other words, that the wise men did not return unto him and tell him where the Christ child could be found, 
Uh, the Bible says that uh, uh, he was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children uh, that were in Bethlehem and in all the coast thereof. And we'll read the verse again just a little bit later. The scene goes from a high, if you will, uh, to an extreme low. It swings from sunshine to storm uh, right quick here as uh, the wrath of Herod is about to be unleashed on little children. Oftentimes, God lets us learn in the sunshine what we're going to need because a storm is going to mount in our lives at one point or another. We've seen that, have we not, in the book of Job, looking at the book of Job? I'm anxious to get back in the Wednesday night services and plug back in over in the 15th chapter. But you remember Job was doing what he ought to have been doing, and the sun had been shining in his life. And then in Job chapter number 1, you remember how it came in rapid succession. In about 60 seconds' time, his life was turned upside down. Over in that chapter, verse 14 begins, And there came a messenger unto Job and said, Verse number 16, While he was yet speaking, there came also another. Verse number 17, While he was yet speaking, there came also another. Verse number 18 of Job 1 says, While he was yet speaking, there came also another. And we wonder, what is Job going to do? Well, Job had been doing what he ought to have been doing in the sunshine. And when the storm hits his life, here's his response. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. You remember in chapter number 2 when his wife came to him. The Bible says, Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What, shall we not receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? Job had enough sense to know God had smiled on his life. He also would later write uh, that man that is born of a woman is of few days and full of troubles. He knew that it had come his time to pay the piper. He knew it had come his time to go through storms as well. And if you're at a good place in life, smile while you can. If you're where you can kind of unbuckle your seatbelt and, and be at a good place in life, thank God for it. Don't ever forget to thank God for it. Because I'll promise you the tears will come and the sleepless nights will approach your family and will visit your front door just like they have all of our front doors. The, the desire of the devil is to destroy Christ, and you know that. Satan wants to destroy him. Now, Herod here in the passage that seeks to destroy Christ. But the greater evil at work here, of course, is, is Satan. I'm convinced even before the incarnation of Christ that there's a blood trail from Cain and Abel's lives all the way up to the cross of Calvary. There are times it looks like the royal line of descent is going to be totally stamped out. And if the devil could have had his way, it would have, so that Christ would not have been born through the line of descent that he was promised to come through. As a matter of fact, I'm convinced in the Garden of Gethsemane that part of the reasons why his sweat became, as it were, great drops of blood and that he cried aloud in the garden and said, Father, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Part of it was the separation. He's about to have sin placed upon him. For all of eternity, there's been intimate, holy communion between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And judicially, because of your sin... And because of my sin, the Father will turn his back on him. And the Son will cry from the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But I believe part of what was going on there in the garden as well 
was Satan made that one last attempt. If he could have kept him from the cross, he would have kept him from the cross. Satan desires to destroy everything about Christ. He despises Christ. He despises everything about Christ, whether that be the church, his word, a testimony, a song, a sermon. He'll do anything he can to disrupt every bit of it. Now, the trip from Bethlehem down into Egypt, you know as well as I, it would be a long, hard trip. From Bethlehem to the border of Egypt was 75 miles. Most believe that where Joseph took his family was Alexandria, Egypt, which would be another 100 miles into Egypt. Alexandria, Egypt is, was occupied at the time by approximately 1 million people. Alexandria was named after Alexander the Great. He had, uh, he had established the town for Jews to flee there. It's believed that about 1 million Jews lived there at the birth of Christ. Alexander did everything he could to win the favor of the Jews. He had established this city for refuge for Jewish people. They would flee from persecution and would be, flee from perse- be free from persecution in Alexandria, Egypt. He had helped to rebuild their temple, the temple you read about in the New Testament, in the gospel accounts and in the book of Acts. It's, uh, uh, it is his temple, Herod's temple, where he had rebuilt that for the Jews. At times, he would give their tax monies back to them when there was hardship upon the Jews. He considered himself very good to the Jewish people. As a matter of fact, he was considered to be king of the Jews. The Roman Senate had conferred that, uh, that title upon him. Josephus, the Jewish historian, uh, he wrote about when Alexander marched across the known world, and this is what he said. He said he marched across the known world, conquering country after country with unprecedented swiftness. Something quite strange occurred when he arrived just outside Jerusalem. Josephus wrote, as he had done everywhere else, his intentions were to destroy it and to conquer the Jewish people. However, the high priest of Israel at the time, a man named Judea, uh, Jadua, uh, went bravely out to meet Alexander and his army, and he did so with great pomp and ceremony. Of course, that would have been very unusual um, uh, because Alexander was feared in these days. Josephus went on to write, This action alone flattered and impressed Alexander. But when Jadua uh, showed him a copy of the prophet Daniel's writings, he was immensely impressed. The high priest, he wrote, explained how Daniel had predicted Alexander's conquest centuries earlier and how the prophet had even specifically mentioned Alexander himself, describing him both as a great horn and as the first king of the Grecian Empire. From Daniel chapter 8, verse number 21, a conqueror who would move with the swiftness of a winged leopard, uh, Daniel chapter 7 and verse number 6. Because of that, it's believed that Alexander spared the Jewish people, spared the city of Jerusalem, and did not destroy this particular, uh, this, uh, destroy them at this particular time. In verse number 15, we don't know much about whenever they arrived at uh, Egypt. We don't know how long they stayed. We just know they stayed until Herod died. Verse number 15 says, And was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. The prophecies referred to here are found in Hosea chapter 11 and verse 1, and Numbers chapter number 24 and verse number 8. The fact that these prophecies are being fulfilled right under the noses of Joseph and Mary, they probably did not realize what was going on. Of course, often that's how God works in your life. 
And that's how God works in my life. God's developing us and working in our homes, our lives, and our families right under our very noses. And oftentimes, we're not even aware of what he's doing. God's working. He's working his will into our hearts and our lives. According to Philippians chapter number 2, verses 12 and 13, we have a part in that. And God has a part in that. Allstate Insurance has had the logo for years, haven't they? You've heard them on the radio. You've read them in the magazines. And you've heard them on your TV sets. Allstate Insurance says this. You're in good hands with Allstate. Well, I don't say we're in a whole lot better hands. We're in great hands with God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Ghost. You see, the little couple's in the hands of God Almighty. And they don't even realize that prophecy is being fulfilled in their home and in their lives. Notice, if you will, with me, verse number 16. Herod's wrath in the slaughter of the innocents. Verse number 16 says, Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coast thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time when, with, which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. This is... Uh, this is not the first generation, the one we live in. Uh, our generation is not the first generation to kill little babies. You remember in the Old Testament, Pharaoh ordered that the little boy babies were to be slaughtered and cast into the Nile. And here it is that Herod, he has ordered all the little boy babies uh, to be slain from the age of two years uh, and down. As a matter of fact, I would say that Herod and Pharaoh parallel one another uh, along this line. I was reminded this past week that the United States of America is guilty of, a border, of, of aborting, butchering, that is, 70 million babies from the womb. Little innocent children that never saw the light of day. The greatest evangelist this country may have seen, may have yet already gone to a grave, never seen the light of day. Our cure for cancer may be in the grave today. I'm telling you, God may have been going to do his greatest work with one of the generations that's already been slaughtered uh, from the womb. Don't tell me we're not going to see the judgment of God upon this land because we tend to look the other way and don't want to lift our voice. Herod here has ordered thee. Uh, he has uh, ordered thee the death of all these little boys. He saw this king of the Jews that, that, that the wise men spoke of and the chief priest and his counselors had spoken of. He saw him as a threat to his own to his own rule. There was the visit by the Magi. There were the words of the chief priest and the scribes in verses 4 to 6. There was his star that was seen in the sky in verse number 2 of this chapter. And in the commotion, Herod's wrath is stirred. He seeks vengeance. As a matter of fact, he's very hostile about it and he wants to wreak, he wants to wreak havoc. I'd say this to you too. Out of his council members, you remember when we were preaching out of verses 1 through 12 of this chapter? Out of all his council members, these scribes and the chief priests, you remember none of them would go just a few miles to see the Christ child. Herod evidently was the only one that believed the report of the wise men and believed what the Bible had to say. Now, he believed it right here. He didn't know the Lord. You know he didn't know the Lord. But he feels threatened by what's been recorded in Holy Writ, and he feels threatened by these men traveling from afar, spending and going to great expense in order to see this king of the Jews. In verses 7 and 8, he sends these wise men away, expecting them to return. Verses 7 and 8, Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship 
uh, him also. Now, these wise men never did return to Herod, did they? We've already noticed that in verse number 12. You'll notice with me the word children in verse number 16. If you're not careful, you'll read verse 16 and you'll come, to, come away believing that Herod had little boys and little girls slain from the age of two years and down. But that word children, that's uh, in the masculine gender. It's kind of like the Song of Solomon. You really don't know who you're singing about today. And you don't know who's being preached about from the Song of Solomon until you know whether a phrase is recorded in the masculine gender or the feminine gender. As a matter of fact, if somebody preaches on the rose of Sharon and exalts Christ, I'll be one of the first to ag him on. But that's in the feminine gender when you go over there and listen to it. Those of you that's got the Bible that's being played uh, that you can access on your smartphone, go over and listen to it by somebody that knows the genders of the book. And I'm telling you, these are little boys that are slain uh, in these days. These children that are, that are to be slain are little boys that, uh, that are to be slain. A heartless massacre. Helpless little boys, innocent little boys. No wonder it's called the slaughter of the innocents. There have been those that there have been those that tried to exaggerate the number of the little boys that would have been slain that day. Some tried to exaggerate it, no doubt, for effect, saying that there may have been thousands that were slain. Did you know in reality there probably wasn't but about twenty-five to thirty little boys that were slain in the area whenever this took place? But I won't tell you one little boy slain because of a heartless, cruel, callous man. That's one too many. And you can imagine the weeping that must have gone on and the wailing of mothers as they would hold their, their bloodied uh, little lifeless uh, uh, boys uh, as, they would, uh, as they would hold them in their arms. I've shared with you through the years one of the most heartbreaking funerals I've ever been to in my life was at the Assembly of God Church up in Boonville, Mississippi, one of, our, uh, one of our church members, it was her nephew, the little fella, had, had drowned in, in the grandmother's pond right on the edge of it, about six inches of water, turned the little riding toy over, wasn't strong enough to get it off of him. And in about six inches water, he died there that day. In that funeral, we'd all been better off, really, to have had prayer with the family and left. I'm telling you, the mama tried to take the little boy out of the casket. She knew it was time for the funeral. She didn't want to take her eyes off of him. She said, I'll take him back home. I'll be good. Made every promise through, uh, through tears that day. And uh, they had to pry her away, and they put the casket, put the lid down, and sealed it. She decided, well, if he can't go back home with me, I'll, I'll go with him to the cemetery. She did everything she could to try to pry the lid up. She was going to get in the box with him and try to go with him. Can you imagine 25 little baby boys, soldiers, heartless soldiers coming and taking a sword and goring them through because one man has such an ego, he's so self-centered that he wants to eliminate any threat to his throne. He was arrogant, Herod was. He was ruthless. He was lustful. He was haughty. He was hungry for even more power than he had. He was a prideful man. Anybody that was perceived a threat to him, he had there. He had them beheaded, or he would have them cut in pieces, or he would he would do whatever it meant to torture them unto death. You remember I gave you the Adrian Rogers quote. Adrian Rogers said you'd been better off to have been a hog rather than in in Herod's uh, in, in Herod's uh, uh, under his rule than to have been even a member of his family. I'm telling you, he murdered every rival. Friend or foe, he murdered leaders, he murdered citizens, he murdered several of his sons. 
Herod was an old man probably at the time of Christ's birth. Most believe that he was sorely diseased with venereal diseases. Can you imagine that? Because of how he had lived and they believed him to be almost insane prior to his death. Herod was a descendant of Esau. That makes him an Edomite. But I'll tell you what made him even more wicked was his heart was, uh, uh, was engulfed in darkness and he was so conceited and egotistical. Did you know Herod, even one of the wives that he married, was a little Jewish maiden? He did that trying to win favor of the Jewish people. But soon after he saw that wouldn't win him any more favor, he had her murdered, had her 17-year-old brother murdered, then threw a big funeral and, and pretended to mourn as they, as they held the funeral service. Before Herod's death, he ordered that every Jewish family, that somebody be killed in every Jewish family so that there would be great mourning across the countryside at his death. Thankfully, that was not carried out. But you know as well as I, God's going to have the last say in Herod's life. God has the last say in any wicked life. You know that, don't you? I quoted from Josephus. Let me quote from him again. He said he had ulcerated entrails, putrefied in maggot-filled organs, constant convulsions, foul breath, and neither physicians nor warm baths led to recovery or to relief. I've seen a man die a wicked death. I don't ever want to see it again. There was a young man at 32 died. He had a tumor on the base of his spine. He had killed a man over a drug deal uh, out in the Snowdown community, uh, out uh, north and east of uh, north and east of Boonville. His mother knew that he was dying. He was no threat to society. She petitioned senators and every other official she could and got a petition and just a, a whole host of names. His name was Robbie. Robbie was no threat to society. She got enough signatures. The senators and congressmen took it, did what was necessary. They released him, but they had to get clearance through a, through a hospital. They brought him to Tupelo. I won't ever forget, I was there when they brought him in on the gurney. And, uh, and I watched him. I'm telling you, you could look in his eyes. Jimmy Franklin, they wasn't nobody home. He didn't care if you lived or you died. He just did not care if the sun come up. And I believe he was as demon-possessed as anybody I'd ever suspected to have been. After a, bit of, uh, after a bit of them checking his blood pressure and first one thing and another, the room eventually cleared out. They were going to take him for x-rays and scans and things to clear him so that he could go home and die from his mother's house. I remember slipping up by his bedside. He was on death row in Parchman when they turned him loose. And I asked him, I said, do you know? And I called the name of an old boy we used to run around with. We'd cook out on Sunday evenings and... This old boy would have fought a circle saw, Jim. Wasn't afraid of anything. I said, you know him? He said, yeah, I know him, preacher. He said, he's a killer just like me. And I mean, he just didn't care. But you talk about dying a, a fright-filled death and a horrible death. He'd cry out hours before his death for his mother. He'd say, Mama, they shot me. And then he'd say, Mother, the, the building's coming in on me. Mother, they've almost overtaken me. Just filled with horror and fright. I'm going to tell you, God's going to have the last say-so. God's not going to be mocked. You mark it down. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. And we may not see it on a wicked man's deathbed, but I'll promise you if you could look off into eternity and kick the lid off of it and take a look, you would see it over on the other side. I don't wish hell on anybody, but I'm going to tell you something. God's not going to be mocked, friend. You mark that down. There's a heaven to seek and there's a hell to shun. Jesus Christ drank had the wrath of God dry for those that would repent and trust in him. But the wrath of God, the condemnation of God, yet is waiting on those who are lost and leave this walk of life lost. 
I think of Psalm number 2 where the Bible says, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. And you know what that chapter goes on to say? And it all boils down to what this world likes to say from time to time. He who laughs, laugh. At last will have the loudest laugh. Then some people will say, well, there's, surely there's not a place called hell, but there is. Surely God won't judge anybody, but he will. As a matter of fact, we're known in the Baptist church since 1950 when what we know to be the old time way first was introduced. We've, we've been saying ever since 1950 in Baptist churches that God won't send a lost man to hell. You better back up and read your Bible. There were those that didn't think that God would send a flood, but he did. 1,656 years from the point of creation. Mrs. Lot didn't believe she'd be turned into a pillar of salt when she was leaving Sodom and looked back into her past. But she was turned into a pillar of salt anyways. Sodom didn't believe they'd be destroyed with fire and brimstone. They didn't believe God either. But God did exactly what God said that he would do. In Proverbs chapter number 1, verse 22 through 33, listen to what the Bible says. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning. And fools hate knowledge. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Because I have called and you refused. I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. But you have set it not all my counsel. And would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind. When distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall you call upon me, but I will not answer. And they shall seek me early and they shall not find me. For they that hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. Verse 32 of that chapter says, For the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. In other words, uh, you can turn your back on God. There will be a day when he'll turn his back on you. You can find grace and mercy in this life. I'm convinced unless a man is reprobate, there's hope as long as his breath in his body and his, uh, his heart beats. I'm convinced of that. All who want to come to Christ can come. But I tell you, you keep fooling around thinking you'll do it another service. You'll do it, at a, you'll do it the next revival meeting. You'll do it at the next special movement. And you'll fool around and wind you, uh, find yourself in hell one of these days. Uh, Herod thought he had one up on God, thought he was king. But he found out in the end who the king was. Notice with me verses 17 and 18. There's Rachel's weeping over the slain boys. Verses 17 and 18. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, And Ramah was their voice heard. Lamentation and weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. The prophecy that's being fulfilled is found in Jeremiah 31 in verse 15. Here's what the verse says. Thus saith the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah. Lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel weeping for her children. Refused to be comforted for her children because they were not. Did you know that's a prophecy in type that's given there in Jeremiah 31 in verse number 15? King Nebuchadnezzar had invaded Israel, had destroyed Jerusalem, and had taken many captive. 
And when he took them captive in Ramah is where the little children were taken. They believe up into the latter teenage years, that's where they were taken. They were taken from their mama's homes. They were taken from their daddies. And they were taken to Ramah. Whenever I hear these, these alerts, these amber alerts, I guess it's what it's called. Is, it, is that what it's called when these little fellows go missing? I'm telling you, that tears my heart out. We were speaking with an investigator with uh, the highway patrol and uh, around the supper table. It's been about a year ago now. And uh, she was telling uh, my, my wife and I about human trafficking in Pontotoc, Lafette, and Union Counties and what was going on under the guise of crystal meth and trading out a mom and a daddy, trading out a child in order to get more drugs. Can you imagine uh, that? Now, we've got an answer for that in the Word of God. We'd get back to it. And we've got a deterrent for actions like that if we'd get back to it and quit uh, uh, quit uh, catering to the prisoners and and uh, what we cater to our military that's, uh, that has served us faithfully or those that, that are mentally handicapped that need some help. Let them old boys that took a life. The Bible says, if you'll, uh, the Bible says, uh, whoso sheddeth man's blood, by a man shall his blood be shed. There is a detergent, a, de- a deterrent for things like that. Rachel's weeping over these slain boys. Rachel's children is what those little Jewish children were called. They're called Rachel's children. Rachel symbolically represents all the mothers that lost their children. The sorrow that's known is called the sorrow of separation. You remember when Rachel had her boys. The first one was Joseph. And the younger one was Benjamin. When Benjamin was born, she died after giving childbirth. You remember it was Jacob that gave Benjamin the name Benjamin. Rachel knew that she was dying and would be separated, would not have the privilege of raising her child. And she called his name Benoni, which, uh, which means the son of my sorrow. Can you imagine the deep pain, the deep sorrow? <laughs> Can you imagine that of a mother or multitudes of mothers as their children were taken by a wicked man? May I remind us all this morning, Satan's cruel. His ways are heartless. His desire is to destroy. As a matter of fact, even in the church, if he could destroy us, he'd do it. You know how he'd do it? He's got two tools. He's got a hammer and a wedge. He'll do that in your marriage. You know that, don't you? He'll take a hammer and he'll take a wedge and he'll go to work. You young people, between you and your mom and dad, he takes a hammer and he takes a wedge and he'll, he'll strike a blow at the right time. And, and you'll think, well, they don't understand. They don't know. They may know a, lot, a whole lot more than you give them credit for knowing. Don't let the devil have his way in your life. The pathway from Bethlehem to Egypt. Very briefly, 13 to 19, the pathway from Egypt to Nazareth now. Joseph returns from Egypt. After Herod's death, Joseph receives another dream, and God speaks to him yet again. As a matter of fact, Joseph will receive four dreams in total in the New Testament. Look with me at verses 19 and 20, the Bible says, And when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeareth in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and go into the land of Egypt, for they are dead, which sought the young child's life. Do you know that's almost identical to what God said to Moses before he sent him back down into Egypt? Exodus chapter number 4 and verse number 19 says, And the Lord said unto Moses in Midian, Go return into Egypt, for all uh, the men are dead which sought their life. All your enemies are dead, Moses. I've given you this time to develop you, to let you get over yourself. 
realize that you're a nothing. And I knew you a nothing. I knew you a nobody. It was D.L. Moody that said that you could divide the life of Moses, the 120 years, into three forties. The first 40 years, he was raised in all the wisdom of Egypt and learned all their ways. And he was somebody destined for the throne. But then he slew the Egyptian and he ran for his life. You remember that? He winds up on the backside of a desert for 40 years being a nobody. And then the last 40 years, Moody said that God taught Moses how that he can take a nobody and make somebody out of him and make him useful in the work of God. God always schools his children. He always does that. But the angel in the dream tells Joseph that Herod's dead and they that sought the child's life are dead. They're all dead, you know. And those who are not will yet one day find themselves in the grave. The Neros are all dead. The Herods are all dead. Hitler is dead. Voltaire is dead. Madeline Murray O'Hare is dead. There are others who are dead. The Bible says in Hebrews 9, 27 that it's inevitable. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, Ezekiel said, the soul that sinneth it shall die. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1, we heard it read in our open assembly this morning by Brian Ard. To everything, there's a, there's a season and a time, for every, a time to be born and a time to die. Uh, David said, there is but a step between me and death. And beyond death, for those who have rejected Christ, there's a hell awaiting. But thank God it's not that way for the child of God. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 15, 55 to 58, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. I'm almost done. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. That you sorrow not even as others which have no home. At death, the child of God is set free. Dawn, you forgive me, but I was looking back over some notes preparing for the funeral last Sunday. And I was reminded of a quote from John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress that I used in your daddy's funeral. But I'd made some notes as well. I was talking to John Suttles and asking him to pray for your daddy when it come time that it looked like he was fixing to make the crossing. And I said to Brother Suttles, I said, Brother Suttles, it appears God's about to set him free. Take him out of his suffering. Oh, Bunyan put in the words of faithful. As he would step across the river at the crossing, but just before Christian, and in the middle of the river, he turned around. He said, he said, I feel the bottom, dear brother, and it is good. God takes care of his youngins. My old friend, I've wept. I have wept for him. Now, I sorrow. I don't sorrow like this world. I was walking in Taylorsville around the campground. I walked for about an hour each day up there the week I was there. And I'll be back in the same house this week. Try to do the same walk. His son Jeff called. He said, uh, I said, hey, Jeff. He said, uh, Brother Kevin, Daddy died this morning in his sleep. I didn't want to believe it. Very few people that would get really close to you in your life, 
you watch that and see if it doesn't play out. You young people think you have a, a county full of friends, but I'll promise you, let life rock on. You'll find out. You'll find out. Make a bad decision. You'll see who your friends are. Make a good one. You'll see who your friends are. And that dear brother was my friend. Somewhere in the morning, just before daylight, he took his last breath here and made the transition. He found out the bottom is good in the river, walked on across. <laughs> and he's all right today, as are your loved ones who have gone on before you. Some of them's got there before we have. The rest of us will one day make the crossing, though. I won't give you. What we have under the headings, other than just to read the verses, but you'll find in verse number 22, Archelaus is now reigning. Now that Herod has died, verse 22, and when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea, in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither. What's that? That's discernment. Discernment's not the ability to read the room. Discernment biblically is knowing what the word of truth says and judging a man's claims thereby. He had enough sense to know it was dangerous for him to go any farther with his family. And then the Bible gave him something else. God gave him something else, gave him another dream. He was afraid to go thither. Verse 22 says, notwithstanding being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into parts of Galilee. Look at verse number 23. Here Nazareth receives the Christ child, and here's where he'll be raised. Verse 23, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, Watch this, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. If Christ hadn't been born in Bethlehem, he couldn't claim to be Christ. If he had not been taken into Egypt, if he had not been raised in Nazareth, he never would have fulfilled those Old Testament scriptures. God, some scholars believe, as many as 332 prophecies in the 39 Old Testament books prophesied of Christ's first coming. And he hid every one of them. And what God is saying is, this is my beloved son, hear you him. The writer of Hebrews said, God at sundry times and divers manners spake in times past through the hands of the prophets. He said, but he has in these last days spoken through his son. There's only one way to heaven, friend. And that's through Jesus Christ. He did fulfill scripture. He does fulfill scripture. He will complete the story. He is the Lord of glory. History is his story. As A.T. Pearson said. And I bow to him today. Would you stand?